Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you and enjoy. Good morning and welcome to Mosaic. I'm so glad you are here today. We are in the middle of a series in Galatians 5 where we are talking about the fruits of the Spirit. So if you've missed any of the past weeks, you can go back, but don't worry, you are not behind. You are exactly where you are supposed to be. Actually, I want to especially welcome our brand new people. There are some of you that are with us and you have joined us since COVID, since we've been in this pandemic and we haven't even had a chance to meet you yet. But don't worry, the day is coming, it's coming soon. So stay tuned. Listen, today we are going to talk about kindness. And I have to admit, when we were planning out the series and kind of scheduling what week was going to be where, my name ended up next to kindness. And I kept trying to move it to like any other week. I don't, I'm like, I don't want to talk about kindness. Kindness is simple. Kindness is basic. Like live, laugh, love, be kind, right? What am I supposed to say about kindness? My seven-year-old thinks kindness is treating everybody the way you want to be treated. She's the first child. She has that rule follower way about her. My five-year-old daughter thinks kindness means giving her presents, like not just Christmas, not on her birthday, but all the time presents, and that's what kindness is to her. So maybe you have heard of Bob Goff. I consider him like the grandfather of kindness. You might know him from his books, Love Does or Everybody Always. Bob Goff says that we should throw kindness around like confetti. Throw it around, let it rain. Thank you, Dominique. <laughs> okay, there's some kindness for you. If only it was that easy, right? If we could just have a pocket full of kindness that we could throw around to people all of the time. Well, I went to the Bible and looked up the word kindness, and it is in the Bible about 50 times, depending on what translation you're looking at. So at first, I found a bunch of verses where people were asking God to be kind to them. Like, Lord, in your kindness, spare my life. Spare my child's life. Spare the life of my servant or of my people. Then it went to, God, in your kindness, give me things. Give me rain. Give me oxen. Give me donkey. Give me kids. Well, really, back then it was, God, in your kindness, give me a son. But there were daughters, too. They just were not named. God, in your kindness, give me a wife. Okay, thanks, God. In your kindness, can you give me a better wife or another wife? Because they had all the wives back in those days as well. God, in your kindness, give me health, give me wealth, give me life. Then we got to verses where people were asking God, in his kindness, to destroy other people. In your kindness, destroy my enemies or deliver me from my enemies. Deliver me from this punishment or consequence that I probably deserve but don't really want to face. So as I'm going through, it's like, all right, hold up. Kindness can't just be about God giving us what we ask for. Like kindness can't just be answered prayers because what about when he doesn't answer our prayers? Does that mean that God is not kind? 
So I kept going, and then I found more verses that kind of explained what kindness is. Kindness is forgiving. It's doing good. Kindness is being kind. Don't you love when definitions define the word that you're trying to define? Like, kindness is being kind. Thank you. That's that's helpful. That's clear. I'm not sure <laughs> exactly. Kindness is encouraging and building each other up with our words. Or kindness is giving and being generous. It's often listed among other characteristics or with other things. So I'm on a roll knocking out these 50 verses. And then we get to the weird ones, okay? Psalm 141.5 says, Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Like, strike me. That's a kindness. It reminds me of that verse in Luke where Jesus says, if somebody slaps you, then you're supposed to let them slap you on your other cheek too. And then if they want your shirt, also give them your coat. So if we put all this together, kindness is letting someone slap us and then give us their clothes. I don't know about you, but I have to tell you that sometimes the more I read the Bible, the crazier I feel. Anybody else, hit me up in the chat if you know what what I am talking about, right? This is when I have to remind myself that the Bible is diverse. Did you know that? Have you heard this? The Bible is diverse. It was written by various writers at different times, in different places, under different circumstances, and for different purposes. And they took all of those different writings from all of those different variables and put them together. Yes, the Bible is divinely inspired, and we can gain wisdom from all Scripture if we don't take it out of context. But just maybe those writers were influenced by the constructs of their time or their culture. Just something to think about if you get confused when you read these really weird (laughs) verses. But really, what does all of this tell us? I think it tells us that kindness is complicated. It's complicated, right? It's simple and it's complicated, and I think it can be both. Sometimes kindness is our words, and it's saying the right thing, but then that's just flattery, and that's not necessarily kind, and sometimes we know that not saying the thing is the kinder thing to do. Sometimes kindness is in our actions, but then it's just being nice, and there's got to be more to kindness than that. Also, sometimes not doing something or not engaging in something is the kinder action. I think kindness is more to that, and it challenges us to more. See, in this series, talking about supernatural fruit and um, the fruits of the Spirit, it means that it's not just in our own effort, but this is a kindness that is rooted in God and that comes from Him. So let's talk about a kindness that works through us, that is letting the Holy Spirit grow God's kindness in us. See, Jesus, Jesus was God's kindness. Jesus was God's kindness to us. In his kindness, God sent his son for us. And Jesus was kind, but I might argue that he wasn't always nice, but he was always kind. So if we try to do what he did, if we let the Spirit work in us so that it's possible to try to be like Jesus as best as we can, we can produce a supernatural kindness that challenges us. I think kindness challenges us in three different ways. And the first is for us to be aware. We have to be aware of people. Are you aware of the people in your life, people that need kindness in your life? Have you ever interacted with someone or been around someone who is completely 
unaware of other people. Maybe you're at work, maybe you're in a meeting, maybe you're in a conversation and you're talking and you're like all into it and then the other person's response comes so out of left field that you're like, are, are we even in the same discussion right now? Are we even talking about the same thing? Or maybe somebody comes in and just bulldozes with their idea, right? They're very unaware that other people are around. Or maybe you've seen this happen when people are texting. Maybe you've been this person when you're texting and you're unaware and you like walk off a curb or walk into another person. I don't know. I'm not saying it's me. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying things happen when we are not aware. Kindness challenges us to be aware, and Jesus was aware. Jesus saw people, and he saw not only their physical needs, but he saw behind their hurts. He heard what they were saying behind their words. He saw their hearts and their pain. Did you know that Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine? I know some of you right now are like, yeah, wine. Okay, calm it down. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, why do we have to talk about this? You're not a wine person, you're not a drinker, and I totally get it, and stay with me, okay? It's not even so much about the wine here, which we will understand, but the wine represents goodness. It represents a good thing. So if you want to think about it as something else, you totally can. Do you know why, though, that Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine? Because of his mama. Because his mother, Mary, asked him to do it. So Mary and Jesus and probably Joseph and all the disciples and all these people are just hanging out and they're at a wedding. And weddings back in the day were like my kind of party, okay? It's bring everybody, it lasts for days, and invite as many people as possible because their culture believed that the more people you had, the more honor it brought to the family. So in John 2, it tells us, I have kindness all over my notes here. In John 2, it tells us that when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And this was a common thing for her to know. Women often helped with food preparations and prepping for the party. So she would have known when they had run out or when they were close to running out. And this was also a big deal because just like having lots of people would bring honor to the family, running out of wine or food or whatever they needed for their guests would have brought shame on the family. The culture back then um, had a big focus on hospitality. So this was a bigger deal than just, oh, now we have to drink water, okay? So verse four, he he says to Mary, woman, why do you involve me? And I think it's so fun to like kind of picture me, kind of picture Jesus as being like sassy, but truly he wasn't back talking his mom. He wasn't trying to be sassy. When he says woman, it's like, you know, right now in Charlotte, we're in the South. And so coming from the Midwest, I had to get used to people calling me ma'am, especially people that are like my own age. I'm like, how old do you think I am? It's not a sign of age though. It's just a sign of respect. And so that's what Jesus is doing here when he calls his mom woman. So he's like, woman, mom, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Then verse five, she doesn't even respond to Jesus. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So he does it. He turns the water into wine and that's Jesus's first miracle. Now, why am I telling you this? What does this have to do with kindness? And I think really it's the secret that's hidden there between verse four and verse five. Just because we don't see any other text 
doesn't mean that a conversation didn't happen. I'm see, I just can picture Mary and, and Jesus looking back and forth at each other, and Mary's like, do it. And Jesus is like, I don't want to do it. Mary's like, do it. Jesus is like, no. And then I can just see Mary like with her eyes going, I'm your mother, right? So Jesus is like, fine. Because we got to remember, yes, he's the son of God, but he's also the son of Mary. And if your mom asks you to do something, I think you can relate to this. You figure out a way to do it, right? Now, it wasn't a question of right or wrong. And this is something that I want to make sure it's clear here. Turning water into wine is not like moving the heavenly realm or saving a life. It was just the kind thing to do. And Jesus was aware. He was aware of his mom asking about this. He was aware of the shame that it would bring to his friends and um, family, family friends, if they ran out of things. So not only does Jesus do the kind thing, but he's like, man, I'm going to be super kind. He tells the servants to get six stone jars, which in my mind, I'm like, oh, stone jars. No, they hold 20 to 30 gallons each. He tells them to fill them to the brim and take them to the host of the party. And somewhere along the line, Jesus turns the water into wine. And it's not like now every table has a full bottle. I did the math twice to make sure that I wasn't wrong. That would have equated to six to 900 bottles of wine, 600 to 900 bottles of wine. Jesus was doing a kind thing here. It's kind of like this. Have you ever been around somebody, maybe in a group of people, and someone starts to cry, right? Out of nowhere, somebody's had a rough day, or they're sharing a heart, or telling a story, and they start to cry. What happens? Inevitably, somebody in the group gets up, goes and finds tissues, or paper towel, or a napkin, or something, and brings it back to the person that's crying. That act of kindness is just kindness. There's nothing right or wrong about it. It's not a morality issue. If no one had gotten the tissues, like, okay, no one got the tissues. But when that person does, it's an act of kindness. That's what Jesus was doing here, turning the water into wine. He was just doing an act of kindness because he was aware of the need. See, some of us aren't aware of people who are in need of our kindness because we have blinders on keeping us from seeing what's going on. And ignorance is bliss, and sometimes it is easier and happier to live right here and live life in our lane and pretend like we don't see what else is happening. But if we truly want to be like Jesus, we can't live like that. We can't live not being in touch with what is going on in the world and around us. We have to be willing to be aware. We have to be willing to see people and their pain. And we have to be self-aware enough to know why we don't see them and what is keeping us from action. This leads me to my next challenge of kindness, which truly is the hardest one for me. And that's that kindness challenges us to be available. I feel uh, a challenge by kindness to be interruptible. I see people and I am aware, and that is not difficult for me. I can be aware of all kinds of things. My phone is filled with notes and reminders and prayer requests of people that have a need. But that's where it stops for me a lot of times, unfortunately. I become too busy and I pack my days too full of even good things to let my good intentions 
become action. Have you heard the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? That's what I feel like. And this is where kindness challenges me to more. Kindness challenges us to be available just like Jesus was available. In Luke 8, we see Jesus and the disciples coming to a crowd, and it says that um, it was a crowd of people who were all expecting him. Now, they were probably tired. Just a couple chapters before, they had been out doing all the things. Jesus calmed the storm, and he casted out demons, and they were just doing all the good deeds. Then they come into this crowd of people who are expecting him, and my guess is that they were not just expecting him, but they were expecting from him. Have you been in these situations? Maybe you go to a party or you go to visit a friend or family and the host is there and they're expecting you and they're excited for you to be there and you're excited to go. Or a situation where something is expected from you and you know when you get to that place, something is expected from you. There's a pressure maybe. Two different scenarios. And it says there were so many people expecting Jesus and again, I'm guessing expecting something from him that they almost crushed him. That's how many people were around. So then we, we see Jairus. Jairus is a synagogue leader, which means he was the leader in the church there. And what that tells us is that he had status. He had wealth. He had finances. He had a role in society that told him and that told everybody else, hey, it's okay for him to go up and interact with Jesus. He's allowed to go up and have a conversation. And so he does. Jairus goes to Jesus and he says, hey, I have a 12-year-old daughter and she's at my house and she's dying. And will you please come and heal her. And what I love the most about Jesus saying yes and going is that his daughter was a child and a female. And these were two kind of subgroups of people. But Jesus said, both as a child and as a female, she was worthy of his time and his touch. So on his way, on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, something happens. And we, we meet another character, a woman. Um, you might know her as the bleeding woman. And in contrast to Jairus, she had been bleeding for 12 years. I don't think it's a coincidence. She had been bleeding for the same amount of time that Jairus's daughter had even been alive. But in contrast, she was poor. She was outcast. She was probably breaking the law by even being in that crowd because her condition excluded her from society. If she touched anyone, her uncleanliness transferred over to them, then they were unclean. She had no community, no relationship, and the culture said she needed to be separated and in isolation from everyone else. I can only imagine all of the doctors and healers and the money she spent and the things that she tried to do to heal the condition of her body. She was desperate. So she broke the law. She went against what she was supposed to do. She went to Jesus, believing that he could heal her, and she touched the hem of his cloak, and it worked. It worked. And Jesus was available. Jesus was interruptible. While he was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, while he was in the midst of doing good things, he stopped to find her. And not only that, but he had a conversation with her because he was available with his time, but he was also available emotionally. So many times when people asked Jesus for healing, he didn't just change their physical ailments. He didn't just change the physical things that, they, that were wrong, but he changed their lives. 
They went from being an outcast of society to being back in society again. They went from broken to whole. They went from rejected to accepted. In verse 48, he calls her daughter. Daughter. Someone who was barely seen as human. He talks to her with such an endearing term of just kindness and love and endearment. And he calls her forward in the midst of the crowd, not to shame her, not to call her out, not to say, why did you do this? But to declare publicly that she was no longer unclean. To call her worthy in front of the community that had excluded her for so long. In front of Jairus, the religious leader of the synagogue where she was not allowed to attend. I think some of us need to tear down walls and open ourselves up to be vulnerable and to be emotionally available for other people. Maybe it's your busy calendar that keeps you from having your intentions go to action, but maybe it's a fear of hurt. Maybe it's a history of rejection and you have done it before and you've been emotionally available and you've been vulnerable and you've put yourself out there and now you're like, I'm not doing it again because it didn't end how you hoped. So we start with simple steps, right? Maybe we'll send a meal, or we'll donate money, or we'll donate to a cause, and all of these things are good, but what is stopping you from putting your good intentions into more of an actionable step? I think real impact comes from, and we can truly share kindness with people when we can sit with them in their pain. We have to have margin in our lives to not only stop and notice, but to sit and know. Not just stop and notice and be aware, but to sit with people and know what they're going through. Healing comes from both time and touch, and we have to be available for both. It challenges us to do more. Kindness also challenges us to be accepting. And if you're a Christian, I want you to lean in here real quick. Because there's something that we like to do with this word accepting. One of two things. Either we adopt it or we run away from it. But either way, we like to take this word and make it whatever we want it to be. We like to give it our own specific meaning. This especially happens in the church. We take the word acceptance and we confuse it with approval or concession, or affirmation, or compromise, and we say, if I accept you, then I have to affirm everything you believe in. If I accept you, I have to compromise my convictions and what I believe. If I accept you, what will people think about me? If we accept you, if we as a church accept you, what message does that send to other churches and other pastors? I think the question is, what message does that send to that person or that people group who were also created in the image of God? Approval, concession, affirmation, compromise, these are all different words with different meanings. And I think acceptance is more closely related to admittance. Admitting someone in, admission, welcoming them in. Acceptance says, I believe in you. I see the good in you. And you can be here, and not just be here, but you can belong here. 
instead of making acceptance this big thing that says we have to align ourselves 100% in every way, acceptance is allowing space for people to be who they are. Acceptance is providing space and creating space to let the love of God reach people. This should especially happen in the church. Our job is not to convert people and to change them, but our, God is to, our, our job is to introduce people to Jesus and then give them the space to hang out together and get to know each other. If you are watching and you have felt this, if you have been told you don't belong in this church, you're an outcast, if you have felt excluded, I am so sorry. And I want you to know without knowing anything about you, I don't know who you are, I don't know where you're watching from, I don't know how you found this service. I don't know what you believe or how you live, but I want you to know that you are welcome here and you belong. These can be true words, friends, and we can mean it because Jesus accepted people as he found them. It doesn't mean that he always agreed with them. You don't have to agree with people to love them. Jesus pursued people that he knew would disagree with him and challenge him and try to discredit them, discredit him. And sure, I'm sure Jesus wanted them to follow him. I'm sure that he wanted these people to know God, but they didn't have to do that in order for him to give them his time to see value in them, to see them as people. They didn't have to change in order for him to accept them and display kindness towards them. Do you ever just stop and think about Judas? Probably not, right? Let's think about Judas for a minute. Judas is the disciple who betrayed Jesus, and Jesus knew it was going to happen. Only hours before, do you know what Jesus did? He washed Judas's feet like a servant. John 13 tells us about that night. It says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus didn't call Judas out. He didn't tell him why he was wrong or try to change him. Can you imagine this? How tempting must it have been for Jesus to want to persuade Judas to do something different. And if anybody could, it was Jesus. Jesus could have done it. It says he knew that the Father had put all things under his power. We've just talked about all the things that he can do. He turned water to wine. He healed diseases. He cast out demons. He raised people from the dead. Surely if Jesus wanted to change Judas's heart, he could have done it, but he didn't. I don't want to imply that Jesus was second-guessing his crucifixion because I fully believe that he knew exactly what was coming and that he died for us willingly. But a few verses later, when Jesus is predicting his betrayal and he's telling the disciples exactly that it's going to happen, it says he was troubled 
in spirit. And I can't help but think that it may be connected to the sting of a friend, to the betrayal of someone that has been walking with him and that was close to him, someone that he chose and that he has been pouring into for years. Maybe Jesus was tempted to change Judas's heart, knowing still what was going to happen, but just to have it happen another way, not through the betrayal of someone close to him. Maybe Jesus hoped his kindness would change Judas, but he was kind anyway, even if not, because the moment required it, and because kindness accepts people where they are and as they are. Change may have been Jesus's hope, but it was never a prerequisite for his heart. Some of us are waiting for people to change before we're kind to them, and we've justified it in our mind by convincing ourselves that they're undeserving, yet they're not deserving, yet. We'd rather tell them why they're wrong than welcome them in. We'd rather focus on where they're broken than help with their healing. We treat people like spiritual lepers, afraid that their imperfections will transfer to us if we let them get too close. Friends, people will grow where they are loved and accepted, not where they're held to a standard of perfection, not where they have to change themselves to fit a mold in order to gain entrance. We have to ask ourselves, does our kindness attract people or make them take a step back from the Jesus we're presenting to them? Is kindness challenging you or is your kindness making the lives of other, others challenging? Of all the 50-ish verses that I read on kindness, this one stuck with me the most. It's Ephesians 4, 32. It says, Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Be kind to each other and be tender-hearted. I think it all comes down to this. I looked up this word too, and there are a bunch of synonyms for this word, and I'm going to read you a few, and you just see which one hits differently for you. Tender-hearted, compassionate, forgiving, affectionate, charitable, sympathetic, understanding, gentle, merciful, considerate, humane. Kindness challenges us to see the humanity of people. It's counterintuitive to sit in someone else's pain, to sacrifice our time for someone else, but we have to lean in and accept it. We have to lean in and accept people that we don't yet relate to because we don't understand where they come from. We don't understand their background or their story or their situation or their experience, and it might make you uncomfortable. But I didn't say kindness was easy. I said it was simple. We have to allow God to make us tender-hearted toward other people. For those of us that call ourselves Christians, we have to get used to being uncomfortable and doing what feels counterintuitive because we don't live for ourselves. See, the heart of, of Christianity is counterintuitive. The heart of Christianity is life through death. It was resurrection through crucifixion, but Jesus leaned all the way in. He leaned all the way in with a tender heart to see us and accept us and make himself available for us. What does God's kindness 
mean to you? Will you allow it to change you and challenge you? Will you allow it to become more than just nice? I think as Christians, a lot of us were taught to be nice and we strive to be nice, but to be honest, I think our motivation is off. I think a lot of our niceness is about our reputation. It's about our perception and how people will see us. And as long as we're acting nice and saying nice things and appearing nice, then we're doing it. Or we're being nice for the reward. And we're being nice and we're being kind just to get into heaven. But that undermines everything that we stand for. That undermines our credibility in the world as Jesus followers. If we give people a superficial plastic Jesus that's just nice. We have to make loving people so inherently a part of who, it, who we are that it just supernaturally comes out. A supernatural kindness produced by the Holy Spirit that we can't help but just have come out of us. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or if your only experience of God's love was presented to you through manipulation or a set of standards that you can't live up to, I wanna reintroduce you to him today. I want you to, I wanna introduce you to this Jesus. He sees you right now. And he says, right now, you are good enough for me to love you exactly as you are. Whatever mess you're in, whatever buts and ifs and ands and whatever is coming to your brain right now and telling you, no, but God can't because or this or that, it doesn't matter. He sees you right now. And he says, right now as you are, you are good enough and I love you. I am so glad you're here. <laughs> And like I said earlier, knowing nothing about you, it does not matter because you are here and you are meant to be here. And Mosaic is a place where you belong. You already belong. If you have questions, if you have never been told this in a church setting before, I'm gonna ask you to do a brave thing and push the button in the chat. I think it says request prayer. Even if you just have questions, even if you're not sure about this very accepting Jesus and you just want someone to answer your questions or pray with you about it, hit that button. No one else will know that you've pushed it except for the team of people that are waiting right there to welcome you into a private chat. Just you and that person to welcome you, answer your questions, and pray for you. I'm encouraging you to be brave and take advantage of this while I pray for the, all of us right now. God, I thank you that you are so genuinely kind, Father, just because you love us and for no other reason. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see kindness not as basic and boring, not as something childish, God, that we don't need to give any thought to once we grow up, Lord, but as a reflection of your love for humanity revealing itself through us. God, remove our blinders where we don't see people. Tear down our walls that keep us from being vulnerable with other people and that block us from being available to hold their hurts. God, show us the people that we are not accepting because we're waiting on them to change first and move in us and through us, God. Grow a supernatural kindness in us. Lord, we ask that you would make our hearts tender. God, start with us, start with me. Give us the courage to be vulnerable, to lay down our pride and to say, I still have more to learn. I still have room to grow. 
so that we can make a life with you attractive. God, give us the courage to choose to act in your love and to love people in a way that reflects how you love them. Thank you for loving us the way that you do in your kindness. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.